Hello and welcome to Everything Real Estate brought to you by the Multiple Listing Service of Long Island. And I am your host, Tricia Cherko, the Marketing and Communication Director for MLSLI and the Long Island Board of Realtors. We represent the 25,000 plus real estate professionals working in Nassau, Suffolk, Queens, and Brooklyn. Our podcast topic today covers the following. What are the steps that a buyer and seller should know about and what should they expect to happen after an offer on a property has been accepted? How do we get to the closing table? Well, on the phone with us today is Melissa Gomez, a very active realtor with ERA Top Service Realty located in Queens Village. Good morning, Melissa, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Trisha. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Today, like I was saying, we're going to take a look um, for you. Well, we're going to look for your expertise to help us outline and give the steps um, from your experience, what you see usually happens after a buyer has had their offer accepted on a listing and, and how eventually everybody's happy and makes their way to the closing table. Tell me, what happens first? Okay, once you have your offer accepted, then if you're going to be doing a home inspection, that's when you would want to have your home inspection done. After their home inspection, that way if there's any items that need to be negotiated or you know any, any other terms like that, if everything is okay, then you would go in to sign a contract and put money down on a contract. Oh, okay. Because I know sometimes across the country, uh, someone signs a contract before the home inspection. But here in New York, you're saying the first thing that happens after there's a verbal acceptance of an offer, the next step is having that property inspected. Exactly. And that's some, that's one of the things that makes New York, well, our area of New York, downstate New York, so different from the rest of the country. That and the fact that we have attorneys involved on both sides of the transaction for every transaction. Okay, great. And uh, you say attorneys involved on both sides. I know that there's such a thing as broker-prepared contracts, but that's not something that we typically see here in New York State. Um, so after, so let's just say the home inspection gets done and... What happens if in the inspection report, again, before we really have a fully executed contract, it might be cited that some work may need to be done to the house because, you know, like here in New York, there's not a lot of new construction. So a lot of the houses have been around for a while. What typically plays out with that when there's a, there's a few items maybe referenced on a home inspection that need attention? Well, it really depends on what's going on with the house and the activity. So many times houses are, for the most part, being sold as is. But if there are certain items that do need to be addressed, then it's, it, it really is bringing it back to the renegotiation table and asking the sellers if they could address them. And, but it's the seller's right to say yes or no. Okay. And then it's the buyer's right to say yes or no as to whether or not they're accepting that and looking to move forward. With the with how hot the market is right now, though, it's very difficult for a lot of buyers to really get a lot of terms negotiated in regard to the home inspection. Okay, that that's that's good to know. And yes, I think we're seeing that, and I'm hearing about that from many of our realtors across all of Long Island and into Queens. Um, it seems to be the case. Well, let's just say that we've made it to through that first step. We, we all agree that the home inspection report is what it is. We're ready to sign our contract, accepting the property as is. 
both parties uh, sign away. And now what happens after that? What's the next step? Now, once both parties have signed away, that's when the loan application officially starts for the buyer. Yes, they should already be pre-approved before that offer is in and, and an offer is actually accepted. But um, you, the official loan application is not able to be processed on a home until there's an actual executed contract. Oh, okay. That's good to know. So even though a, a buyer may be pre-approved, which is definitely the right way to go, um, you know, to have that in your hand while you're shopping, the loan process formally doesn't start until, say, the mortgage uh, lender, the agent for the mortgage lender is holding that a copy of that fully executed contract? Exactly. Okay, great. And and so say a, a buyer was pre-approved, they, they start the process. How many weeks or, or what happens from there? What can the buyer expect to happen in, in terms of time frame and and uh, you know, time frame from when they're pre-approved to when they're closed or from when they're under contract? When they're under contract. Your typical contract is going to be a 60-day period. Um, And now it doesn't mean that it could not close prior to that, but for the most part, the contracts are dated for a 60-day time period. Now, something I I do like to tell a lot of my buyer clients and also seller clients is that, yes, there is a date in the contract, but that date is what's called an on or about date. That is not the date that you will be closing. So I always tell people, wait until you get what's called a clear to close, and then they actually set schedule a closing date before you actually take a day off from work or anything like that. Because the date in the contract is just there, but that does not mean that that's when you're closing. Oh, okay. So that's good to know. When exactly are you going to know when you should put in for the day off and you know for sure you're going to have a closing date? At what point in this not, process? It won't, it won't be until you're at the end of the process, until you actually get a clear to close um, and the bank attorney is reaching out to the buyer's attorney to schedule a closing date. Okay, great. All right. Uh, so let's just say uh, we've got the loan application in, we've got an executed contract, we've got a home inspection behind us where everyone agrees to some terms, you know, based on the findings from that. What happens next? Well, the, the, when the loan application is being done, that's usually when the buyer's attorney will also order a title report. And um, once the title report comes in and once the lender is able to provide a loan commitment, that's when the their attorney would also order a survey on the property. Okay. Tell me, to, just define for me exactly, um, to for our listeners, what is a title and what is a survey? Okay. Well, a title report is basically something that's letting you know that this house that is being sold to you is actually legally able to be sold to you. The seller is really the seller. They don't have judgments or liens against them. The property doesn't have violations on it. And you're able to move forward on it without having to worry as to, did I actually buy a property that I could legally own? A survey is really more of a map of the property, letting you know the dimensions of it, uh, the dimensions of the the building on the property and the actual dimensions of the lot itself. Okay. And have you ever in your experience um, in real estate, have you ever had a situation where the survey uh, gets done? And what if there's a structure or some kind of encroachment across the property line on the survey? What if something doesn't jive? What happens then? What 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 happens um, 
That that actually happens a lot, especially with fences. I've I've had that come a lot happen a lot for me when it comes to fences being encroached on properties, or you're losing a property because it's inside your property more than it should be. Um, at that point, I there's been different scenarios where we've had to have neighbors sign letters saying that they know that that property does not belong to them, or we've had to have uh, doors put in the gates of the fences, or actually have fences moved. Oh, so it's not a deal killer. If a survey comes back and there might be a, a, a fence um, on the neighbor's property line or perhaps a, a shed that was uh, put up over the years that might be uh, over the line, there's usually a solution to this. Is that what, you're, what you've seen? Yes, there is usually a solution to it. And it, it really is more common than mm-hmm. some people think in regards to where sometimes things may straddle the line a little bit. Okay, good. Um, can you tell me a little bit about appraisals? Where does the appraisal, and is a, a, an appraisal mandatory uh, when someone buys a home? And who's responsible for that in terms of who orders one? Okay. Well, if you're having a bank, um, if you're getting a loan, uh, yes, an appraisal will most certainly be mandatory. Okay. If you're paying all cash, appraisals are not mandatory. At all. Well, you wouldn't get an appraisal at all. Now, if you're getting a loan, it is a lender that orders the appraisal. It'll typically happen within a week or two of the executed contract. And that appraiser, once it's completed, it is given to you as the buyer. You are disclosed as to what the, the appraiser estimated the price to be at. And then that's only shared with you as the buyer. That is not shared with the seller. So if it appraises for higher, you know that, but the seller doesn't know that. They just know it appraised. If it appraised for shorter, however, um, which is possible, especially with how the market has been, uh, then at that point, you have to basically go back to renegotiation. And that's where if I have a situation where something appraises for a shorter amount, then at that point, I would ask for a copy of the appraisal and then to review the comparables, see if there's any way that I could submit new comparables to have the appraiser see if they could adjust their numbers if not, then I'd request a second appraisal. Um, and then if it's still coming in short or we're still having problems, then at that point, it is definitely discussing the numbers again. Is the seller willing to take what the appraised value is if they feel like it's a just amount? Is the buyer willing to come out of pocket to make up the difference? Or can we meet in the middle? This, that's really good advice because that scenario does play out more often than not when the market is hot, inventory, according to the multiple listing services, is down. I think we're down to a four or five month supply of properties. Uh, buyers are kind of scrambling at this time of the year to make their purchase, potential buyers, because everybody wants to be in or some people want to be in before the start of the next school year. So um, so prices uh, are um, high <laughs> in this kind it, of a market. Supply and demand. A very, it's definitely been a very hot market where prices have continued to appreciate at levels that I did not think were possible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants to live on Long Island. You've got to love that. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, okay, so we get through the appraisal and let's just say it, it, it happens to, you know, let's just say it appraises, everybody's happy, the deal continues, we're heading towards that glorious day of the of uh, reaching the closing table. Um, what other final steps or what other steps uh, can a buyer or seller um, 
expect at this point of the process as we're, you know, turning for home? Well, at that point, um, it really is just that once the appraisal comes in and if the title report comes in, that survey gets ordered, everything is good. Then at that then at that point they're submitting them for a clear to close and then they're going to schedule the closing once they have it there to close. I will I do tell buyers though that from the moment you get clear approval to the moment you close, try not to change your financial status. Do not open up your credit cards. Do not um, spend exorbitant amounts unless you, unless you're okay with the bank asking you why did you spend this. Do not make crazy deposits because the bank will ask you where did this three thousand dollars come from and they will ask you to source it. Just try to keep your finances the same. If you're if you're looking for a new job, don't go from a job where you were getting a W-2 to a job where you're not getting a 1099. You really want to keep your financial status the same while you're under contract. And then once you have that clear to close and you close in the home, then you can do whatever you like. Go get the new car. Go open up another credit card. Sure, but just not while you're under contract. That's, that's great advice. So what you're saying from contract to closing, something that the buyer can control is to keep those fi- that financial picture stable uh, throughout that 60, 90 day process or whatever you know the number of weeks will be, um, just so it doesn't throw any red flags and maybe delay the closing where the lender's gonna have to go back in if you change jobs or if your income is different or if you op- your credit score um, goes down for a reason that you've taken additional loans during that time. So if you can avoid it, like what you're suggesting, if I hear you correctly, is just keep things status quo during that period of time. Absolutely, because not only could it delay it, but it could also cost you the pro- you could also cost you the whole deal. Like if that, let's say if your debt income ratio all of a sudden changes and you can no longer get a loan, then you just lost out on a house. Okay, great. Um, so that's good to know. So let's say we make it through all of this and all of a sudden we get a call from our attorney that says we've we got the clear to close. You keep saying that phrase. We got the clear to close. So does that mean that I can take off the next day and plan on going to the closing table at that point? No. So as a federal regulation across the board, across the country, when you have a clear close, you do have to wait three business days before you can close. Um, so when the, when the attorney calls you to schedule the closing, they're not scheduling the closing for the next day. They're going to be scheduling the closing for at least three business days later. Um, and then you, and you see what works for you, and then you can take that time off as to what they tell you. Okay, great. And what should a buyer, uh, well, obviously the seller has three days to really start wrapping up the packing and, and knowing that this is a reality that they're going to move on. But for the buyer, what should the buyer be prepared to do during, say, that 72-hour window uh, before they take occupancy? Is there anything they should be tending to? I would recommend that they call utility companies to then have utilities put into their name for the days that they for when they actually close. Okay. Um, and then of course, do look at your uh, fi- at the closing disclosures to see what is the amount of money that you need in order to close. How do you find out what you're going to need? I mean, isn't uh, you know how would you know what the final bill is going to be? The bank has to provide that to the to the buyer and their attorney. And is uh, what is that called? Is it just a sheet with all the, the numbers? Closing disclosure. So at, at a closing, there are two closing disclosures. Um, one is for the buyer, where it itemizes all the buyer's expenses, 
in regards to getting the loan, uh, getting title insurance, and uh, ordering the survey, and the appraisal, and all that stuff. And then there's another closing disclosure for the seller in regards to the seller's expenses, so such as the broker fees, property condition disclosure waiver fee, if they do that, um, if, if they have any backhold taxes or backhold water, uh, that all gets itemized on the seller's side. Great. So everybody knows minimally three days before they show up at that closing table um, what the financial situation is going to be for the buyer and what it's going to be for the seller, and there should be no yes. surprises. Exactly. Okay, super. Now, during that three-day period, I, I know the uh, buyer uh, typically does a final walkthrough. Do, um, do do you usually accompany your, you know, the buyer during that? Or if you're representing the seller, are you there for the seller during the final walkthrough? I, I as an agent, I do go to my final walkthroughs as long as, you know, if I'm in town. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, what are you looking you for? somebody with you. What, what is um, the buyer? I'm looking to make sure that the house is basically um, how it was when you went into contract. If there were any items, let's say if there was a repair rider on the contract, if there were any items that needed to be repaired, you want to make sure those items are taken care of. You want to make sure that the... Um, it's just that there, there's nothing that looks like it's not the way it was before you went into contract. Okay. Run the water in the house, you know, make sure that there's no leaks in that roof, stuff like that. Okay, and that the structure's still there and intact and yes. and everything. <laughs> yeah, the lights go on and, and, and the toilets flush, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So, so yeah. it's good to have a realtor um, you know, assisting with that and on board so they would probably uh, know all these little things, what to look for. So after the yes. final walkthrough and, and we all appear at the, the closing, who uh, is required to be at the closing and and how does that um, play out on that day? Sure. As far as attendance for the closing, you have the seller's attorney, the buyer's attorney, the bank attorney, the title company. You have the buyer and then you have the seller or somebody there representing the seller if somebody may have a power of attorney for the seller. Oh, Okay. Um, excellent. And I think that brings us through all the steps. We close and keys keys change hands. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot and of... And then don't doc- forget to change the locks once you get those new keys. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Those are the steps after you close. Absolutely. You yes. walk out and they change, change the locks. Um, awesome. This is all really good advice that you've given us. Uh, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I would just say that, uh, one, definitely try to get a pre-approval versus a pre-qualification. A pre-approval is something that is more solid because they've actually looked at your paperwork, run your credit. They, they, they've, it's a more solid way of knowing, yes, you can really move forward with something versus a pre-qualification, which is more of a, of a guessing game. And I'll also say that because the market is such a hot market right now, a, a, a day could really cost you a house. So I definitely, you know, if you, if you see something that you like, jump on it. And, you know, it's, it may not be there a week from now. Okay. And and by having that pre-approval, uh, you may be even a better candidate. There's five or six buyers all bidding for the same property because it tells well, you the seller you're ready to go. Offer if you don't have a pre-approval. That's just the reality. If you don't have a pre-approval... You really shouldn't be making an offer because you're not in a financial state to be able to make one. And then the problem is after that, as I say, if you do like something, it could take you a couple of days to get the pre-approval. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Melissa, for your time and and for your advice. 
And again, um, this is our podcast that is brought to you by the Multiple Listing Service of Long Island. You can download a copy of this at uh, iTunes or you can visit MLSLI.com and click on the Buyer Seller Resource Center and listen to um, a copy of this podcast or our other ones that we've already recorded in place there uh, anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love it. Thank you. Okay, my pleasure. Bye now.